0: In the year 1900, more than 250 hobos, tramps, bums, or freeloaders, whatever you want to call them, came by train to a little northwest Iowa town for what was called the first annual National Hobo Convention. There they ate free food, they drank free beer. They stayed in free accommodations, they played games, they even drew up a political platform and even nominated a candidate for the 1900 presidential election. This tradition is going on 111 years later in Brit, Iowa. And In case you're looking for something to do this summer for vacation, it's August 11th through the 14th. Now, they set this time aside not because these bums deserved this day or in some way had earned it, but they still got their free food, they got their free drink, the special treatment because they were hobos, they were bums, nothing more. Now, all sorts of conventions happen across this vast country each day, you know, but the annual hobo convention in Brit is different. These folks, these bums, these tramps, these hobos didn't deserve this celebration. They didn't ask for it. They don't encourage it. It was freely given to a bunch of people who haven't worked, who are lazy, crude, dirty, dishonest, people who have been arrested in freight yards, chased out of public parks, and rousted for vagrancy. But for one weekend every year, for a brief time, these people are loved for who they are loved as fellow human beings who celebrate their humanity and their worthwhileness for one brief weekend. He took bread. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after saying, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. In those words, Jesus said, come and eat, all is ready. You're not coming because you deserve it or earned it, but you come because it is freely given. Yes, like it or not, we come to this supper like the hobos show up to Brit, Iowa. We come not deserving this meal, but accepting it. We come to celebrate God's victory, not our victory. We come to celebrate our humanity in Christ. We come invited by God through Jesus to come and eat and drink, not because we are so great, but because the great love that God has for us in Jesus. We come, though, even though we have ignored God, and we have turned against Him, and we have cursed Him, we have used His name in vain, we have used Him, and we have abused Him, and we have taken advantage of Him, we have even become angry with Him, and yet He invites us to come. we become because He still invites us, He still accepts us at His table, just as we are. We come because of Christ as forgiven people who are nourished and renewed and refreshed as we celebrate our humanity in Christ who has freed us from ourselves. We come tonight to this table, not as perfect people, but as forgiven people. Here we come in celebration of the imperfect, those who make mistakes, those who stray from the straight and narrow, those who foul up their relationships, those who have offended and tramped on the toes of other people, other people who have blown life. We come in celebration as we live in our brokenness, as we live in our low self-esteem, our questions, our feelings of unfairness with life. We come not as people who are in control of our life, but as people who have lost control and have decided to surrender our life to Christ who can control it. We come as people who are sorry for our mistakes and are tired of running our lives by ourselves and say, Lord, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. We come as people who are celebrating the grace of God through the very body and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We come like those bums show up to Brit to begin to feel good about ourselves, to be the people who can be accepting of our humanity because it is indeed a gift from God. We come to the table tonight as undeserving people, people who wander somewhere through life, somewhere between being enemies of God and friends of God, kind of depending upon who or what is controlling our lives. I hope you remember that at that very first communion, even Judas ate and drank from that table. Judas, who betrayed Jesus, Judas, who Jesus knew to be the one that was going to turn him over to the Romans, was not excluded that night. And you know something again and again, that scene is repeated. We come to the table as people who, if we are honest with ourselves, also betrayed Jesus. We come, too, if we're honest with ourselves, as people who sometimes are really more enemies than friends. But we come because we are forgiven. We become because we are welcomed. You know, this table is not excluded from anyone because it really doesn't be, doesn't, is not based on our merit or our good works or our good looks or our lives or our actions. I mean, this supper is a free gift from God to us. It depends on his action through Jesus, not ours. That's what I love about what Martin Luther said about communion. It says, he is truly worthy and well-prepared, he doesn't list a whole bunch of attributes, but he is truly worthy and well prepared who has faith in these words, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. I don't know how many communions I have supervised or been a part of, you know, in 25 years of being a pastor and some years helping as a communion assistant. But I often wonder if some people totally miss the point of communion when they come forward. I sometimes wonder if people see no point of turning over their lives or surrendering to Jesus all that makes them less than what God wants them to be. In fact, I'd say if you feel you really don't have anything to surrender, or if you can't really relate to those bums in Brit, Iowa, or you can't relate to Judas at the Last Supper then maybe you don't really need God at all because you're your own God. And if that's you, that's one of the scariest positions you could ever find yourself in. Let me tell you another story about community. It may help us a little bit. There was a little boy who ended up in an orphanage because his parents died. One of the first things on the agenda at that orphanage was to give him a brand new set of clothes. So he was given a brand new pair of pants, a brand new shirt, a pair of shoes that were so shiny that he could actually almost see his face in the reflection. And the last thing he was given was a brand new baseball cap. But he wouldn't take it. They kept offering it to him, and finally he took it, but he wouldn't put it on his head. He hung on to that old baseball cap. And they kept on trying it, and finally they convinced him to put that new cap on, and he, he liked it, but then he did something very odd. He took that old baseball cap and he tore the lining out of the inside and then put it in his pocket. That orphanage worker had a puzzled look, and the little boy said to her, the lining is part of my mother's dress. It's all I've got left of her, and somehow seems to bring her back. You know, communion is a lot like that with Jesus. I mean, the bread and wine that are up on the altar are a sign of his presence with us. It's a reminder of when God walked on this earth in the form of Jesus, that bread and wine, the body and blood, are a very nonverbal way for God to give us his love. You know, human beings, you know, we have many ways of determining what's going on around us. We can taste it, we touch it, we smell it, we feel it, we, we hear it, we see it. We have, we have numerous combinations of all of those things. But for the most part, the primary way we are encountered by God's love is through the spoken or the written word. But God doesn't just stop there with the spoken and written word. He encounters us at Holy Communion in a way that goes so far beyond that. It goes way beyond what we touch and taste and feel and smell and see. We experience a whole new way of God showing his love to us. And I hope you understand, you know, we say where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. But I want you to know that tonight, even beyond that, his love is even more present here in what we call communion in this Lord's Supper. I'm positive of that because I believe those words when Jesus says, this is my body, this is my blood. There's no nonsensical representation or symbolic action. It is. Even as Luther says, is, 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 and always is, is. How can you mess that up? See, he brings himself to the people as a nonverbal sign, a reminder of God's gracious love for us. I don't know if you've thought about this recently, but tonight when you leave the Lord's table, you will leave with a little bit of Jesus in your bodies, a little bit of Jesus in your heart and soul. When we leave, we continue our faith journey with a reminder of God's grace and God's love. It's a piece of Jesus with us as we continue our daily walk. We're kind of like that little boy with the lining of the hat in his pocket, reminding him of his mom. As we commune, we have a reminder of God's presence in our life in the form of that bread and wine, that body and blood. And indeed, that personal non-verbal contact we have with the Lord in this meal should be cherished by everyone. That's why those words of Paul so very important, that we don't do this without thinking about it, that we fully understand what this is all about. You know, as you receive the bread and wine tonight, you will know in a personal way that you are an invited guest at a meal where Jesus is the host as you eat and drink in his very presence. And not only is he present with you at the Lord's table, but you really put him in your pocket, so to speak, like that little boy as you leave, because he's present with you as you go out in the world. And for some, I suppose that might seem like a time of judgment. But for those of us who believe it's a time of grace and comfort, knowing that Jesus is there like that good shepherd who's going to take care of us and uphold us on our faith journey. There's one more story I want to relate to you tonight. It really has to do with a sense of community togetherness, a friendship with Jesus and with one another as we come to this meal. One of my favorite um, TV shows, even though I don't cook, my wife would tell you that, is Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives. Some time ago, I saw one of the shows that took place in a place called Paulette, Vermont. And they had an old train station in town and they turned it into a diner. And the diner's a little bit different than most of the diners because on one of the walls was an arrangement of coffee mug pegs. Anyone in town could bring his or her own coffee mug and hang it up on that peg so when they came in the morning to have their coffee clutches or their coffee breaks, they'd hang them right there on those pegs for the next time. And as people would come in and they would gather to talk and they would gather to visit, they could tell who had been missing, who hadn't been there for a while. It was a time of concern that they had for one another. If that illustration doesn't work for you, maybe may take you back a few years to an old television program called Cheers. The program about a neighborhood bar where everybody goes. And what I found intriguing about that theme song, it ends with that line and everyone knows your name. There's a sense of community. There's a sense of togetherness The interesting thing is food has always been a way of bringing people together. Brings people together for sharing and discussing or learning about one another. So, you know, even here at communion, there should be a sense of community that is found like what these people see in that railroad diner or a place like Cheers. You know, do we know and care about the people who we dine with? Do we use the time sometimes before or after a service to share and get to know each other? Do we have a sense of that here in this church, we're family? A couple of years ago, Nancy and I, I always remember this, we got a very interesting Christmas card, thanking us for being like the grandma and grandpa of that church. <laughs> now, understand that this is a considerably younger church than this one. And initially, I was, ah, just for a little bit, offended. Not really offended. But as we looked at one another across the table, we kind of went, yep. But see, we've got a collection of grandmas and grandpas and aunts and uncles and brothers and sisters and cousins and, and just good friends. You know, do we see here people who are concerned as much about us as we are concerned about them? Do we see Jesus who is present and the host of this meal as a friend? William Barclay, who writes Bible commentaries, he actually has a daily study Bible. I read this earlier today, and I I thought it would fit in here tonight. He says, The most precious thing in the world is a friend to whom we can go to any time and never feel like a nuisance, someone to whom we can turn whenever we need someone to whom we can talk about anything, someone who will never laugh at our dreams or mock our failures. Jesus is that kind of friend. The question is, are you? The hobos of Brit, Iowa, the orphan with a little bit of lining in his pocket, the friendship of Jesus and others, are all present here in each and every one of us as we come this evening to drink and eat and to partake of bread and wine and body and blood. May God bless that in his name. Amen.